This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. This episode of All Have Another podcast is sponsored by Athletic Brewing Company. Athletic Brewing Company brews delicious craft beer that just happens to be non-alcoholic. They have high quality, flavorful, and award-winning craft beer. With only 50 to 70 calories per can, their brews fit into any beer occasion. Check out Athletic Brewing Company. Go to athleticbrewing.com and for 15% off your order, use the code ANOTHERATHLETIC15. Hey everybody, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today you're listening to episode 319, and I'm talking with Seika Henry. Seika recently became the first African-American female triathlete to get her pro card. She's a two-time marathon champion. She competed in the Ironman World Championships in 2019 in Kona, and she focuses on the 70.3 distance of triathlon. She's actually been blogging about her triathlon journey since 2013. So you can go back and read from the time she started the sport just to try it out and see what it was like to all the way when she realized she could possibly get that pro card. Seiko was in a traumatic bike accident in 2019 and she is going to share with us about what that experience was like for her and how she overcame it. Seika is passionate about increasing diversity within the sport of triathlon, and she's also going to share about ways we can help make that happen and what she's doing to help make that happen. This was a really fun conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did when I got to talk to Seika. All right, if you are looking for additional content from my podcast, I have a Patreon page where we put out episodes almost weekly over there. And right now we're doing a really fun series. We're doing a Patreon community series where I'm interviewing people who are part of the Patreon community. You can learn more and listen to those episodes when you go to patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Seika Henry. Well, today on the podcast, we have Seika Henry on the show. Welcome to the show, Seika. Hi, nice to finally meet you. I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I feel like a superstar being on here. Oh my gosh, I can't believe triathletes are listening to the podcast. I thought it was strictly runners. Nope, nope, we're out there listening too. So how are you doing? You, We owe you a big congratulations. You recently became the first African-American woman to get your pro card in triathlete. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm still on cloud nine, I think, but it's dwindled down some. Um, It was, what, exactly a month ago. So yeah, I've come back to earth and (laughs) I'm back to, you know, working my corporate job and training for my first race as a pro. So yep, back to reality. It's so wild when like something, not that anything that big has ever happened to me, but like when something big in your life happens and then you have to like, you're excited, but you have to deal with the come down before you Mm -hmm. and then like do your everyday life like you still have to pay your bills and and do all the normal things so you're back in that 
Right, exactly. Yeah, it didn't last long. I wish it lasted longer. But yeah, for the first two weeks, it felt like a big old celebration. So when is the first race where you debut as a pro? Uh, it is Sunday, June 27th, um, right here in Williamsburg, Virginia. So it's only about an hour from my house, which is pretty awesome because I can sleep in my own bed. My family can come out. And yeah, it's a half iron distance. And the Professional Triathletes Organization is putting money towards it. So there's a pro prize purse, which is cool. And yeah, it should be pretty competitive because there are so few races um, still right now because of COVID. Um, a lot of the pro races got canceled this year. So. I was lucky to find one right here. Well, yeah. And that's the crazy thing too, is that you like accomplished this in these unprecedented, strange times where like races were canceled for a long time. So Mm -hmm. when did you get the idea that like things were going to be happening again and you could get back after that goal? Uh, You know, I really didn't know. Um, Even going into race week, you still wait. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, I was never certain. I just tried to be as prepared as possible in case it did happen. Um, I think towards the end of 2020, there was a half Ironman uh, Challenge Daytona in Florida, and it seemed like a lot of races were happening in Florida. So I figured my best bet was to find one. (laughs) Um, And I saw that there was Challenge Miami, a half iron distance in March earlier this year. So I registered for that one immediately. So I was banking on that one kind of happening. And then when it did and other races were going off, I, yeah, was... I think I was getting more confident, but until I was like actually at the event checking in, you just never know. Yeah, it's been such a crazy year. Okay, we got to hear your story getting into triathlon. I know you grew up a swimmer and Mm -hmm. then you did high jump. Like I just listened to you on another podcast say that you debuted high jump in high school at 5'2". And I, (laughs) I, I did high jump in high school, not well, but Uh I I definitely never cleared 5'2". (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, but in my defense, I'm 5'10", so I'm not sure how tall you are, but I think that That is a big a difference, bit. yeah, I'm 5'6". Yeah. Okay, see, when you're tall, you got a little bit of advantage. I have really long legs, so I think that helped me out. But still, for your first jump ever, like, that's pretty mm-hmm. legit. Yeah, well, the coach, I was a senior in high school. I had swam all four years. I was burnt out. Didn't really feel like doing it anymore. And I'd always wanted to try track and field, but I was playing basketball and mm-hmm. I could jump really high. And he was like, see if you can touch the rim of the basketball net. And so I did like probably had like dunking capabilities. Wow. It was crazy. So he's like, you should come out for a high jump. And I'm like, oh, really? I never thought of that. Like I wanted to try sprints, but I never thought of field events. So yeah, I just, I absolutely loved it. I liked the short stuff. I liked the 200, 400. And um, I had already gotten into Tufts University at that point. And um, it was a division three program. So I'm like, oh, maybe I could be a walk-on and see how good I can get. So I contacted coach Kristen Morwick. She's still the coach there. In fact, they just came in I think fifth place in NCAAs just last week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I contacted her. She had the, at the time she had the high jump school record at Dartmouth. So I'm like, okay, she knows a thing or two about high jumps. So yeah, it just worked out and I walked on and surprisingly over the years, I just, uh, improved drastically under her. I, you know, went to NCAAs and was an all American and yeah, just, it was beyond what I anticipated heading into college for sure. What's your, PR. Do you call it a PR when it's high jump? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it's only five six. But for Division three, you know, it's pretty decent. And I had good short speed; like I could run twenty six in the two hundred. Um, I think maybe fifty eight seconds in the four hundred. But I preferred uh, field events over running. Um, yeah, <laughs> running hurts. So yeah, I was never into the distance stuff at all. It does hurt. Isn't that so wild now, though, that you're like 
I mean, you've done you've done Kona, you've done a full Ironman, but the fact right. that your main discipline, your main distance, is like a five hour event. I know, give or take. I know, coming, I know, coming from a fifty eight second event, right, or just one jump. Yeah, it's my coach and I laugh, or you know, my college coach and I, we we laugh about that now because oh my gosh, she could not get me to run. I hated it. I'm like, why do I have to warm up for a mile? <laughs> like, just let me do the short stuff. So yeah, I, I didn't like it. I, I showed no aptitude for endurance sports or anything like that. But I think that just goes to show it's really a mindset and not necessarily all talent, um, natural athletic ability. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people are always ask me like, like, how do you like enjoy running? How do you get into it? I'm like, you have to get over the first mile or two hump. Like mm-hmm. nobody enjoys the first mile. So if you're not <laughs> consistent enough to train your body to be able to run like three miles consistently, you'll never get over that one mile hump. That's not super right. fun. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. It takes a good, good few miles for me to get into it. I mean, even in triathlon, when I get on the run course, I don't feel good for at least two miles. My legs still feel heavy from the bike. And yeah, it takes, it takes a while. You just have to stay patient. Now I've heard you say that running is your best discipline. Yes. Mm -hmm. My favorite. Yeah. Your favorite. Is that the one that you excel in the most of the three? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, my swim, I mean, quite frankly, is horrendous. And I'm usually like coming out last of the water, like bringing up the rear. My bike is a work in progress. Um, I think that I show some promise in that event, but it's still very new. I didn't learn how to bike until I was older, actually. Um, so that I'm still figuring that one out. And then, uh, yeah, the run now, for whatever reason, it just comes so natural to me off the bike. I can pretty much run the same splits I do in an open race, which oh, wow. is quite weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us about like the mental game of a triathlon, knowing your strategy going in is that like, I'm going to have to pass people this entire race once I get out of the water. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, and it's really hard to stay mentally in it because you're just so far out and everybody's so far ahead, but I would rather be passing people than Mm -hmm. getting past. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy that it's the last event and it's something that I have to look forward to. And I'm really just focusing so much on my nutrition and making sure that I'm ready to like have a really solid run off the bike. So, um, but yeah, it's hard. And when you're that far down, <laughs> you're like, oh, my God, getting off the bike. I'm like, oh, what is the point? Like, what am I even doing? I'm not even going to podium. Like, I'm really going to have to run my heart out. So, yeah, but I do. They probably know you're coming, too. Like, if you've been doing this long enough, they're like, okay, she's right. going to be after me. If yeah. even if I'm off the bike, 30, even 30 minutes maybe ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have been known for my run. Um, I'm really lucky that I partnered with like Hoka early on. So I think they kind of scouted that talent pretty early. And um, yeah, like I said, it's bizarre that I can pretty much run the same type of splits in an open run and the same off a bike. I don't know why that is. I think mentally I'm just so competitive um, that I'm willing to just bury myself in a hole to get there. Okay. Yeah. So tell me about Hoka. When I was researching this interview, I was like, I didn't know Hoka was heavy in the triathlon space. And my husband's like, they were like the first big like shoe for triathletes. Mm-hmm. Like all the triathletes were wearing Hoka's back in the day. So how did you get partnered up with them? And what does that partnership look like? Yeah, it's funny. You're not the first to say that. Most people don't realize how uh, heavily involved Hoka is with um, like even Ironman. They're the main corporate sponsor. For I, why Ironman. don't I know that? <laughs> I, I guess I need to interview yeah, like, more triathletes. 
No, I mean, even if you watch Kona on the Ironman World Championship, the run course, all the mile markers are huge Hoka um, inflatables. Okay. So, okay. Um, yeah, they, they sponsor some really talented, um, you know, runner triathletes and stuff. So um, how did I partner with them? Gosh, it was back in 2017. And I was at a conference, Triathlon Business International Conference, and I was on a panel about diversity and inclusion in the sport because triathlon just really isn't that diverse. Um, Only 0.5% of African-Americans are in the sport. So um, I was on that panel and Eric Gilsonen, who um, is sort of like a recruit for Hoka on the triathlon side, he happened to be in the audience. And I mean, looking back, I had some nerve, like I really had a lot of balls saying this, but I'm like, I want to get my pro card. I want to be the first African-American woman to do so. I was slow. Like I had not broken three hours in the marathon at this point. I had broken, I hadn't broken five hours in a half Ironman. So I'm like, wow, I can't believe I said that up there. But uh, yes, I went on and on about it. And I guess he recognized that confidence and just believed in me. And I think more so believed in um, how passionate I was about creating like a diverse space in the sport. So I think he was more attracted to that and he kind of just pitched me to them, but he came up to me. I was wearing Nikes and uh, he he was like, I I was a Nike girl and he was like, Oh, do you want to try Hoka's? I'm like, those big, ugly moon shoes. Like, no, I don't know. They're ugly. No. And he's like, Oh, come on. Like I'll send you a few pair, test them out, see if you like them. And yeah, first time I wore them, I wore the Clifton's. Um, and I just absolutely love them. And I haven't worn another shoe brand since. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Um, I just got my first pair of Hoka's recently. It's, I'm going to say it wrong. The Mac 4s, is it Mach 4s? Mach 4, yeah. Mach 4. Mm-hmm. They are the most comfortable shoe I have ever run in. In, yeah. in 25 years, I don't know how long I've been running. I can't do the math right now, but um, I can't believe how, and I'm not a shoe nerd. Like I'm pretty much just like, nah, here's a shoe, you know, whatever. But I can't believe right. how comfortable these shoes are. Yeah. I mean, most people, my mom too, she never tried Hoka's until me and I got her a pair of the Bondi and um, she, that's all she wears now. She only wears Hoka's, same with my dad. So yeah, so if good. it fits, you keep with it. Yeah. So, okay. You said you had balls saying what you said, but now looking back, like, <laughs> Do you feel like moments like that, like really help define what your trajectory is? Because once you said it in front of those people and then that guy from Hoka came up to you, it's kind of like, okay, it's out there. What am I going to do? Roll up my sleeves. (laughs) Yeah, I've always been like that. Um, I believe in putting things out in the universe and speaking it no matter how crazy it sounds or no matter what people think. Um, When I first went on this triathlon path, I started a blog in 2013 And I blogged about my very first triathlon and I kept the blog up all these years. So eight years it's been that I've been blogging after every single race. And so I've always put it out there. Um, I feel like I feel this responsibility to follow through when I put it out there. Mm -hmm. Like I can't just black, you know, back out of it because I've already said it. And, you know, um, I don't want to just be a quitter or something like that. So yeah, I guess there is a certain amount of responsibility that I have once I say it, but I believe it. I think everybody should do it and people don't have to be as outspoken as me, but yeah, I draw some confidence when I say it and I never say something I don't believe will happen. Okay, so now you have to tell us about that first triathlon. Oh my gosh, a <laughs> hot mess. You know what? I People, because of my last blog at blog post, I posted about getting my pro card and uh-huh. I included a link to the very first one. I went back and read it and I'm like, I didn't remember. I raced in a sports bra and these like little underwear thingies. I thought I raced in a bathing suit for some reason. So it was, it kind of jogged my memory too. The first one was a hot mess. Um, 
I was going through a really bad breakup at the time. I was kind of just depressed. I mean, not like clinically depressed, but just really sad, not getting out the bed, not wanting to do anything, taking sick days off from work for no reason. And I knew that I needed to find a distraction. And um, a triathlon had always been on my bucket list anyway, because I had the swim and the run background. And um, luckily, there was one. I found it online. It was only a 25-minute drive from my house at Buckrow Beach. It's called the Tidewater Sprint. They still have it, the Tidewater Triathlon. Um, it's a kinetic multi-sport race. And it was just a 500 swim in the bay, um, a 10-mile bike ride, and a 5K run. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. I have two weeks to prepare for this. So I registered for it. I went to Dick's. I got a mountain bike. Uh, I bought a Speedo and goggles. And I got a membership at the local sw- swimming pool. And for two weeks, yeah, I just tried to figure it out. And I did my first triathlon and yeah, it was, I was a mess. I was really bad. I had no idea <laughs> that people rode, you know, triathlon bikes. Mm-hmm. Like there were specific aero bikes. I'm like, why is everybody flying by me so fast? I'm on this like old, cl- not even old, it was new, but it was an aluminum clunky, really heavy mountain bike, you know, with all these gears and I wasn't going anywhere and I was in sneakers and trying to pedal and, um, Oh, you didn't have clippings. No, heck no. I was in sneakers and I got off the bike and I ran and I'd never really run off the bike before. My legs just felt like trash. So it was an, it was a unique experience, but it was fun and I was happy and I was like, Mm. oh, I did that. That's so cool. And that kind of brought me out of the funk. So, uh, and like most people, you know, you do a marathon, you cross the finish line. You're like, oh, do I want to do that to myself again? But next thing you know, you're signing up for more. And that's how I got my start. Okay, I love what you said. It was fun and I was happy. I love that. Because it's like, I feel like sometimes we get so, you know, in our heads about races and things like that, professional Mm -hmm. or not. And if we go back to it was fun and I was happy, I think that kind of probably helps balance our our headspace, even if we've come so far, you know? Right. And it's hard to do that, especially after you've had some races under your belt and you've had success and you've had PRs and you place, you start putting these um, expectations on yourself. And um, most people in this type of position are driven, right? Like that's just how, who we are. So you can't just get rid of that. But the first time, like when people ask, um, you know, do you have any advice for my first one? I'm like, literally enjoy it. Like mm. you'll never have another first, right? So like, just make that first one super fun. Don't put any like, you know, pressure on yourself or like limitations either just go out and see what happens and yeah but it gets harder to do that you know the more you get into the sport that's what I always tell people about Boston I'm like you qualified for Boston go to Boston and enjoy Mm -hmm. the race don't like get in shape if you want to get in shape but don't put pressure on yourself to like run some certain time just literally enjoy this race this like big goal that you made and that you got there. So yeah, I totally see that. Um, Was this a sprint try, your first one? (laughs) Yeah, it's the shortest possible distance it was, thank goodness. I don't know how some people start off with like a half Ironman. Like, are you crazy? (laughs) Hey everybody, a quick break here to thank Beam for supporting this episode of the podcast. For years, I was looking for a really good hydration line that provided me with the electrolytes I need for sweaty runs. And Beam is by far the favorite hydration blend I have found. I love it so much. They have three different types of blends. They have a hydration probiotic, a hydration energy blend, and a hydration collagen blend. That's the recovery one that is my absolute favorite. It is so refreshing. 
after a big workout or a small workout in this summer heat. There is no sugar added to these blends and they are absolutely delicious and refreshing. The other thing that Beam has to offer is their sleep blend. I take their dream powder every single night. I mix it up with some hot water. It's like a delicious, healthy take on hot chocolate that helps you relax and get some good sleep for the night. If there's anything I care a lot about, it's good sleep. It's turned into my nightly ritual and I can't recommend it enough. Go to beamtlc.com and use the code ANOTHER and you'll get 15% off your order. That's beamtlc.com. Use the code ANOTHER and you'll get 15% off your order. So I, I've only done two triathlons. I did a sprint try and I did a half Ironman. Mm-hmm. And the sprint, I just remember it was open water. And I remember my husband had done them before too. And his first open water swim, he had a freak out. You know, he got like, I don't know, three minutes in and he was like, oh shoot, like I'm out here in the middle of this lake. And so in right. my head, I was like, calm and relax, calm right. and relax that whole time. Did you have any issues with those first open water swims? Um, the first one, no, I started at the back. Um, that's something I would suggest if you are freaked out, like you don't have to start with a mass pack, like wait till people go. Um, so yeah, that one, no, I think as I got more competitive and you're trying to draft off feet and stuff, getting kicked and, you know, kind of when you're trying to go, go around the buoys and people kind of pushing you out the way and stuff like that, that does freak me out a little bit, but, um, I anticipate it now. And, I mean, you kind of kind of have to fight back. Like you have to get your own space. Like if you can't just let put people swim over you and push you around. So yeah, you, you toughen up after a few of them. <laughs> I don't want to be up there with you guys. I don't want to be up there with you. I'll stay in the back. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say though, the more competitive you get though, you're more aware of your space and you're breathing bilaterally and um, you're trying to stay on feet and draft as much as possible. So there's mm. kind of like a science to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like you draft on the bike, huh? Right. Well, well, I can't actually oh, do non-draft legal. Yeah, I don't do draft legal racing. Oh. Yeah, we have to stay um, like this. The recent race I did, you have to stay 12 meters back. So that's about six bike lengths. So, yep, it's not draft legal. So to get your pro card and you were competing as an amateur, but yep. to get your pro card, those were the rules. Yes. Well, you can choose different races. So like if you guys watch the Olympics, that's draft legal racing. Oh, really? Everybody is, yeah, everybody's on a road bike. They're um, drafting off of each other and stuff. Um, with triathlon, we're in time trial bikes. So we're just kind of meant to go straight. It's not very safe at all to draft in the time trial position. Your hands aren't on the brakes. And yeah, you can't have an unfair advantage on the bike. So you have to stay a certain, um, it depends if it's an Ironman race or a challenge race or whatever. But um, the challenge races that I've done, it's 12, 12 meters, I believe. And it's so it's about six bike lanes, you have to stay back from the person. And when you overtake them, you can't cut in too soon, you have to Um, you know, get, yep, exactly. And the other person has to drop back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are highly competitive triathlons though, that you can draft. Yes, uh definitely. Like you can go the draft legal route, like the college NCAA system is draft legal. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So why do you choose non-draft legal? Um, 
I prefer the longer distances. I'm better the longer it goes. So those draft legal distances are typically the sprint and the Olympics. Okay. And when you get into the half iron, the Ironman, those aren't. Okay. So um, yeah, I just tend to do better the longer it goes. And to be honest with you, I mean, you have to have really strong bike handling skills when you're doing draft legal racing, cornering, you're in a pack, you know, there's like dozens of people all around you. So the danger in that, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough for sure. Okay, I just learned something new. I bet a bunch of our listeners did too. Oh, good. <laughs> well, let's go there then because you, I don't know how much you like to talk about it, but you had a pretty horrific bike crash in 2019. Mm-hmm. Was that just 2019? Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, I know. You know, I always say like my biggest fear with, especially long distance triathlon, I'm like the bike training would scare me. It's like getting even just, I know you, you crashed in a race, but like getting hit by a car would freak me out. So talk about that crash and overcoming, you know, overcoming Mm -hmm. and be able to get saddled back up and get after it. Right. Um, yeah, that was the, one of the hardest things I've ever been through in my life. Um, it's not that I don't like talking about it, but it's definitely still fresh. It really wasn't that long ago. I think people think it was so long ago. And I'm like, uh, no, that was only April 2019. So um, I think most people know the dangers that come with, you know, riding on the open road. I sure am. You know, I'm very aware of it. But you never think it's going to happen to you, mm-hmm. right? Like you never think you're going to have such a devastating crash that you're going to wake up in the emergency room trying to understand, you know, what happened. So um, for me, my situation was I was in, uh, I was competing at Ironman 70.3 Texas in Galveston, and it was a half Ironman. And uh, at this point, my coach and I have been working together for a while, and we he pretty much got me to an elite level. Like I was placing at every half Ironman I had done. Um, I was I finally broke 130 in the half marathon off the bike. And so we thought that I was strong enough um, to maybe, you know, have a great race there. So with triathlon and the amateur rank, that's a little different. It's not like with running where you start in the first corral. If you're really fast, you start at the front and then it's slower paces, you know, in the back. With triathlon, sometimes they group you by your age and they tell you, they give you an assigned time. So unfortunately with Texas, it's a huge race, about 2000 competitors, which is big for a half Ironman. And I was in one of the last waves. And by the time I got out the water and onto the bike course, it was super crowded. And when you're back there and you're trying to get a pro card, like you're trying to get in top three overall, you're behind people who maybe it's their first one. Um, Maybe they're on a mountain bike, they're just trying to finish, or they don't know the rules of the road, ride on the right, pass on the left. And um, I, of course, don't remember any of this, but um, I was told that I was, I I know that I was going over 25 miles per hour for my Garmin, and I was passing people, and another competitor in front of me didn't bother to look when they were passing somebody else, and they cut me right off. And I hit the median in the middle of the road, Mm. and I flew face forward into the pavement. Uh, I was completely knocked out. Um, Luckily, my helmet saved my life. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just have no recollection. Um, I wasn't really out there that long because uh, my Garmin showed <laughs> that, like, I was going 25 miles miles per hour. All of a sudden, it stops for a few minutes. And then all of a sudden, it go, I'm, like, going 60 miles per hour. I'm like, oh, I guess I was in the ambulance at that point. But, so, yeah, I was only um, out there for a few minutes. But, yeah, I woke up hours later. They had already done, you know, um, x-ray, CT scan, just all this stuff. And when I woke up, I was having my face stitched back together. And, um, yeah, I was trying to figure out what happened first. I thought that I had been in a car accident um, on the way home from the race. I couldn't remember the race very well, but I felt like 
I'm like, oh, they cut my new brand new custom kit off. And I, it was my first time wearing. I'm like, where's my kit? Why am I naked under the sheet? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to ask them, you know, I'm wiggling my arms and my legs. I'm like, okay, I'm not paralyzed. Um, they told me that I had been in a bike accident and that, you know, my nose, they were t- going over the things that I had, the injuries I sustained. My nose was broken. My teeth were loose. Um, they had to do at least four, about 40 stitches to six sections of my face. I had severe road rash all over my body. And, um, yeah, I was just in shock. I asked to look in a mirror and they wouldn't give me a mirror. So I asked oh. for my phone and I did a face, you know, like selfie, like trying to understand. I'm like, oh my gosh, like wow. I'm really, really messed up. Yeah, it was, it was traumatizing. Well, and I yeah. saw, I say, wow, cause I, I saw the picture in your blog mm-hmm. and I can't mm-hmm. imagine waking up and not knowing what happened and then seeing your face look like that because it was right. very swollen and all those stitches right were you in an immense amount of pain or did they have you on enough painkillers in that moment that you weren't yeah I was I remember aching but they drugged me up yeah even when I spoke to my mom um they took a break when they were trying to fix me up and I spoke to her and she said I don't remember it but she said I was very calm and I was explaining the situation to her so I think because I was sedated like I couldn't Mm. I wasn't really that emotional or crying I think I was just trying to piece things back together and one of my main concerns was my brain like neurologically being okay because you hear of accidents like this right and the person's never the same or they go through depression from concussions and so yeah I was just worried more so about my health first and foremost and like making sure like my brain was okay oh for sure head injuries are so scary I read Mm -hmm. on your blog that you just said hey mom I'd really like to talk to you can you give me a call back (laughs) yeah I left her a message I know I just like so nonchalant I know even one of my, I didn't know this until more recently one of my friends was like yeah we were texting back and forth that night you were in the hospital and you were just so calm I'm like we were texting I don't remember <laughs> that uh I mean later once I saw a neurologist um I had short-term memory loss okay so those days are I don't remember flying from the hospital up to my parents like I remember getting on the plane but I don't remember the flight or anything like that so and I was looping a lot like mm. when I would go to the doctors I would tell the same story over and over again not realizing that I had just said it wow. so yeah so there were some issues there yep do you are you fully recovered I know physically mm-hmm. you're competing the best you've ever competed but um yes. in your headspace and everything um yeah, I didn't have any lingering um, issues. Um, my mouth, uh, having oral surgery and all that stuff, that was probably the biggest pain in the ass, really. But yeah. um, other than that, no. I, psychologically, it's funny. After the crash, I wasn't scared to get back on a bike. Um, as soon as I was cleared, I went riding again. But it's funny, all this time, like during the pandemic, not being able to race and like group rides and all that, I started getting nervous to ride again. Mm. So it's weird that like after the crash in 2019, I got back into it, but then the lull and not being able to just get right back up on the bike, it, it was just weird. Well, I'm sure yeah. it's being with the other people too, that would induce some anxiety about that because you then were, mm-hmm. weren't riding with people for a year and right. you were riding right. with people when you did your, got your wreck. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So tell us about, your training for this race coming up and are you doing anything differently? <laughs> like, are you mentally preparing differently seeing as it's your first pro event? I don't have a clue what I'm doing. 
<laughs> you know, at first, <laughs> I was like so excited, like, yeah, I'm finally in the pro field. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, what? This is too soon. Like, I am not ready yet. Um, yesterday, uh, Memorial Day, I actually went and rode on the course. I'm lucky that I live nearby. And, you know, I'm climbing up the hills. I'm like, oh man, I am just going to get destroyed in this race. But might as well just rip the band aid off and see how it goes. So, no, I'm sticking with the same training plan that my coach has laid out. Um, we haven't really done anything much different. Um, I tend to be, I tend to race my way into shape. Like as the season goes on, I've always gotten better and better. So, um, I just look at this as another race and, um, my a race is in September, which is Ironman 70.3 Augusta. So my focus will be on that. So, I mean, since you're racing as a pro, you don't have to deal with the masses anymore. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is great. I think, yeah, I think we start like 15, 20 minutes in front of everybody. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. So your coach, Johnny O, tell us about him and how you guys got connected. Oh gosh, he's crazy. We have such a unique relationship. Um, So we connected in 2017. Um, I was first coached by coach Suze. She, because Susan Flanagan um, up in Canada. And we worked really well together because I never, when I, um, worked with her I had never done a half Ironman before my first one was in 2016 so I learned a lot yeah I learned a lot from her like nutrition how to fuel properly on the bike um gosh like just so many little things um I was so new to the sport I didn't know about um yeah, gosh, I think when I hired her, I was only on a road bike. And then I finally got a triathlon bike. And I'm just like learning all these little things from her. So um, by the end of 2017, I wanted to take it up a notch. And that was the year that I'm like, I want to be a pro yada yada. So um, I wanted to find somebody who was coaching at the elite level, or they coached former amateurs to the elite level. And so I interviewed a lot of different coaches. And for whatever reason, Coach Johnny and I just clicked, I felt like he was going to push me really hard. Um, he's very straight and to the point. Um, there's like no hand holding with him. He's like, this is just what you got to do. And I need that. I need somebody who's just like really direct and, you know, because I will weasel my way out of a workout if I can. Like, (laughs) he'll put sets. I'm like, "Mm, well, can I have more recovery? No, Sika, no. So it's good. Um, Yeah. And he's coaches some of the best triathletes in the world, like Jen Anna. And she has the world record on the bike and the triathlon and the full Ironman. So, um, yeah, the. I wanted somebody also who could take a crappy cyclist like me and turn them into a decent rider since I already had the run going on. And he was really good with that. The bike is so hard because it's so long. I know. It's so much time. Like, why can't I be passionate about the bike? Yeah, it's true. You know, with run, with the run, you know, our long run is what anywhere from an hour and a half, two hours, maybe two and a half hours or something like that. But with the bike, I mean, just for the half iron distance, you have to be riding out there for like four hours, like mm-hmm. 80, 100 miles. Um, yeah, it's it's hard when you don't love it, for sure. So you have to find ways to make it fun. Um, for me, that's like going on group rides with my mm-hmm. friends. Um, I'd use Zwift indoors. <laughs> that's fun doing like the virtual stuff. Yeah, just got to find ways to keep it. I download new playlists all the time so I can ride it out on the bike and inside. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just so much time. Like it, it just no matter how you slice it, it's so much time. When you said you said eighty to hundred miles in four hours, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I think I'd have like forty five <laughs> miles in in four hours. <laughs> Well, that used to be me in the half iron. I used to not be able to break three hours. And yeah, 
you just got to start somewhere, I guess, and then you improve before you know it. I just, I always feel like, like, I, you know, I did the one half Ironman, but like, Mm-hmm. In that experience for me, like I know how to work hard when I run. It is so right. difficult for me to train myself to work hard on the bike because it's such a long time because I'm like, I could work hard for like 20 minutes, but then it right. keeps, so it's like to sustain that and to figure out pacing yourself while still putting that effort forward. So that's what Johnny's right. clearly helped you do. Right. Yeah. Um, you got to learn how to really put well, and there are ways to measure like power output, um, uh, following your FTP functional threshold pace. And yeah, luckily we have power meters. So we know when we're overdoing it and we need to back off. So in indoors, I train a lot with power. Most of my workouts are power based. Um, so you sort of figure out what's that fine line. It's kind of like with running, you know, you know, you shouldn't go out at six minute pace or six thirty, whatever it is relative to you. You got to hold back a little and then like kind of ease into it. And it's the same thing with cycling. Um, yeah. And he's really, I never worked with power until I started working with Johnny. So I learned that. I also didn't know how to suffer on the bike. He used to say that all the time. He'd look at my workouts. He's like, you have so much more in you. Like you can hold 200 watts. So, you know, I couldn't hold 200 watts when I, for one minute when I first started working with him. And now, you know, I can hold, ugh, gosh, that for 20, 30 minutes. But um, yeah, he taught me how to learn how to suffer. <laughs> so good. You know, you're an athlete when your coach says you need to learn how to suffer yeah, on the bike. Yeah. That's uh-huh. so good. Um, okay, so let's go back to diversity in the sport. You mentioned you were on this panel at a conference, and that's when the Hoka guy, what's his name? I keep saying the Hoka oh. guy. Oh, Eric. Eric. Eric EG. Yeah, we call him EG. Okay, that's when EG sought you out. Um, you start doing triathlon. Mm-hmm. You, It's very clear. You're out there. You notice you're one of the only, if not the only, African-American woman in the field. Right, right. M- man or woman. <laughs> okay, So at the beginning, was that intimidating? And what were your first action steps for saying, I want to be a part of making steps forward in this so that I'm, I'm not the only one out there or one of three or whatever? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say intimidating because of my background. I was a swimmer in high school and I was always one of the very few people of color in that sport to begin with. So I guess in some ways it made me uniquely prepared for triathlon. Um, So no, it wasn't intimidating. People were really friendly. I did not get treated any differently or anything like that. Um, In fact, the sport's been extraordinarily welcoming to me. But I did notice the lack of diversity. And I'm always curious and kind of a history buff anyway. So I wanted to understand why there was such a lack of diversity. So I started just, you know, Google (laughs) and reading and like understanding the statistics and stuff. And then, um, and that it wasn't just in my head because there are only 0.5% of African-Americans in the sport. And then I'm like, well, why is that? And I read that about 64% of African-Americans lack basic swim skills. And growing up, I'm like, yeah, that is kind of true. Like a lot of my African-American girlfriends couldn't swim. And then that also brought me down another rabbit hole, like, well, why is that? And, you know, like, even though segregation ended in 1965, um, you know, we didn't have access, we couldn't swim at the same pools as, um, you know, Caucasian people. And 
because of that, we would go to, you know, creeks, lakes, whatever. There weren't lifeguards and people would drown. Kids would drown and their parents got really scared and they're like, you can't swim. Like you're not allowed near water. And that kind of got passed on generation to generation. And then, you know, I mean, there are other factors like, especially with triathlon, it's a really expensive sport. And um, the African-American demographic are, you know, median income is low compared to other races. So um, it's a really expensive sport um, to be involved in, no matter what race, obviously. Um, So there are some financial barriers and then, you know, access to pools and swim lessons. And, you know, it's like, if you can't swim, you can't do the first leg of a triathlon, how are you going to do it? And um, one thing that I noticed too, over the past few years is the lack of awareness of the sport amongst African Americans, like even my family, you know, like my cousins and stuff, they're like, what is the sport again that you do? Like, they never even heard of it. So, you know, if you don't know it, or you've never seen it, how are you going to do it? Um, you know, like we watch on NBC, the Kona Ironman World Championships every year. And so people sometimes think like, that's what triathlon is. It's just the Ironman, like in Hawaii, hot and grueling. And people don't realize that there are, you know, local sprints. You can do um, a triathlon that starts in a pool and walk the few, you know, lanes or whatever. So yeah, there's so many different reasons why. And so yeah, I just familiarize myself with those, you know, barriers and Um, and what I could possibly do or add to the sport. And I saw that there had only been one African-American male pro and there had never been a female. So I'm like, all right, that's my mission. (laughs) Like, I want to be her. (laughs) That's so cool. I love that you said you were curious at the beginning. I feel like I've been hearing that word a lot lately. And it's like, I think that in general, in the world, if we just enter everything with a curious mind, we'll get Mm -hmm. so much further. Like before, like making a judgment call or thinking this thing or that thing, like, let me just be curious and like really educate myself. And that's what you did. Right. And I wish, yeah, I do wish everybody was like that. Um, You know, unfortunately I do some freelance writing and I wrote for triathlete magazine and bicycling magazine. And, you know, I read these comments um, and they'll be about my own experience in the sport and being a black woman. And, you know, people get so offended because I mentioned my race and what does race have to do with it and yada, yada, but they don't take the time to read the full article and understand and learn. And I never understood why anybody would want to be ignorant of anything. Why not absorb all that knowledge and, add something positive like if you're going to comment why does it have to be negative i don't get that but you know freedom of speech and you know each to their own all right friends one more break here to thank gooder for supporting this episode of the podcast if you are looking for some legit sunglasses for an active lifestyle look no further than gooder they are cute they're comfortable they're functional They don't slip around when you're running and you're all sweaty. And there are so many fun styles. You can go classic or you can go crazy. I like to race in fun sunglasses because it just brings the energy. Perhaps though, my favorite sunglasses they have are the Amelia Earhart Ghosted Me. They're super cute aviator style shades. And I also think this is a really great gift idea for the runner friend in your life. So you can check them out and save 15% when you go to gooder.com slash another and use the code another 15, that's another one five for 15% off your order. Go to gooder.com slash another and use the code another 15 for 15% off your order. 
All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Seika. So what are things that you can do, that I can do, that other triathletes or runners can do to help raise the awareness and increase the diversity in the sport? Um, well, I think for me, looking at the big picture, so much of it has to be done, I think, at the big, the corporate level. Mm. Um, I think that there are a lot of organizations out there that have the funds and they could help support a lot of grassroots efforts. Um, I'm involved with the National Black Marathoners Association and they have a scholarship fund for um, African-Americans coming out of high school who are long distance runners. And um, there are also like diversity in aquatics, um, black kids swim, like there are really great organizations out there that could be doing so much more if they had the funds. So, you know, with some companies, they put out statements, especially during black lives matter that they were going to do X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, you don't even necessarily have to reinvent the wheel or like, you know, stamp your name on something like you can support these groups that are out there. So I think at the corporate level, there's that. And then at the individual level, like what you said, that curiosity and like keeping an open mind and not being judgmental um, and understanding why things are the way they are. And like, just because segregation doesn't exist anymore doesn't mean that it there was no after effect in 2021, you know? Like, it's sad that this is the first time there's an African-American woman pro triathlete. Like, that's crazy to me in this day and age. But um Yeah, like when people put their stories out there or they talk about their experiences, don't rush to be so judgmental and like hear them out, I think. And I guess if you're in a position to help um, do that, like there are really great um, groups. I try to do little things like speak at schools, whether it's elementary school or to college team or whatever. Like so if you're in a position to, you know, help out in whatever way you can do that. Um, I told this story recently. Um, I was talking to Tina Muir actually, and she has, she's got a great. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm good friends with her. I, okay. Yeah. I never shared this story with her before, but, um, in 2017, I wrote an article for USA triathlon and it was talking about, I talked about the importance of like image and representation in the sport and seeing people that look like you. And this is why I want to be in the sport and, you know, excel at it. And, Um, the magazine went out and one of the, um, members of USA triathlon, Michael Reed, he read the article, he's a white guy and he emailed me and he was like, what can I do pretty much? And I'm like, Oh, you know, nothing trying to be nice. And he's like, no, like, what is, is there anything you need? And at the time I didn't have an arrow helmet. So I was like, you know what? I really want one of those cool Giro Aero helmets. They're like freaking $250 or whatever. So he sent me one and we kept in touch. Number one, that helmet is the one that saved my life. Wow. Uh, in Texas. What yeah. a story with that. Yeah. And he's also the reason why after my crash, five months later, I did Ironman 70.3 Augusta. Um, my parents and I, we flew out to Augusta, met him and his wife down there. That was our first time meeting in person. And that was my first big race back after my crash. And and I only fell short of qualifying for my pro card by like three minutes there. But it was so great having him. And it's been so wonderful, like being pretty much we're like family now all these years. And it was all because he read this article that I wrote about diversity and reached out and asked how he could help. So, um, you know, I'm black, he's white, but he's my family. So (laughs) that is so cool. That is the coolest story. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. Um, black kids swimming, you know, 
I just keep going back to that and, you know, the generational um, situation that you talked about, like back in mm-hmm. the 60s and stuff. And it's like, I mean, an organization like that is clearly a grassroots organization that's trying to help break that generational cycle of black kids not being able to swim. Right. And like erasing the fear of the drowning and things like that. But like, Mm -hmm. what else can be done? It's, you know, because in in 2021, it should be equal. White kids and black kids should swim the same. Right. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. I think that there are companies that are trying like um, Iron Man, the brand Iron Man. They just came out with um, Race for Change is what they're calling it. And I know at Iron Man Tulsa, um, they collaborated with a local swim club out there and they're giving kids free lessons. So there are organizations out there doing what they can, I think, and that's what it takes. Um, Gosh, it always comes out of money, I feel like. Really, truly. Mm -hmm, It does. I mean, even with me and, you know, (laughs) it's if if it wasn't for the companies and the individuals that have supported me in this sport, there's no way that I would have reached this level. Like, I'm lucky that I put my story out there Mm -hmm. and people gravitated towards it. So after my bike crashed, like I ruined my Scott bike. It was very expensive. I can't just shell out 10 grand for a new cut, you know. But luckily, I shared those photos. I put my story out there. And Cervelo was wonderful enough to wow. say, like, we'll support you get back out there. And they sent me a, P, a brand new P3X. Wow. And Head Wheels. Um, Head is owned by, um, run by Annie Head, uh, female. And she also was like, how can I help? And she sent me custom wheels to go with the bike. So it's little things like that. Um, if it wasn't for the help and support of like organizations and individuals that are in that position, I wouldn't have gotten to this level. And, and I'm trying to figure out in my own way, like, how can I give back? Um, yeah, I'm still trying to work that one out. But for me, I think now that I'm partnered with so many companies, you know, every year we get new wetsuits and yada, yada. So it's like, I have all this equipment at my house and now, you know, I move on to the next brand new thing. So it's like, well, how can I give the equipment that is still great and sitting in my basement. How do I give that to, you know, another athlete? So just trying to brainstorm. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Like you starting to write your blog alone in what was that? Did you say 2013? Yeah. 2013. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the amount of people that you've reached just from that before you were even pro. Um, Like you said, you with your conversation with Tina, it's like representation matters and a 15 year old girl seeing you compete as Mm -hmm. a pro matters. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. And it's one of the things that brought me back to the sport. You know, when I was recovering at my parents house after my accident, um, I did think like what's the point of all this Mm. and is this worth it how much does diversity and representation really mean is what I'm doing kind of just pointless and I did have all those conversations in my head um but it it was when I started receiving mail and like cards and flowers and stuff and mail from like little kids you know they would like sign it and they would draw Mm. little black girls swimming and biking and running and stuff and they're like we've been following you and you know come back to the sport and I feel better Sika and stuff like that I'm just like oh my gosh like people are really following young kids are following this story and it matters to them and it is important and looking back on my own childhood I idolized Dominique Dawes a gymnast I thought she was so freaking cool you know she was the first uh, black gymnast to get a gold medal in the Olympics and everything and I joined the gymnastics team because of her and I wanted to be Dominique Dawes so 
it's it's important and it matters. It's just unfortunate for me. It took a traumatic, you know, mm. cycling accident for me to understand the full scope of everything. Dominique Dawes, she was the goat. I'm yep. the same age as you. I'm a little bit older, I think, but um, I very much was following gymnastics around that time too. And she mm-hmm. she was it, man. Yeah, she could do that tumbling pass on the floor. You know, she'd like go all the way down the transition and come uh-huh. right back. And I'm like, whoa, it's crazy. So wild. Well, that's mm-hmm. so cool. I mean, even one letter from a little girl mm-hmm. would just totally change your headspace, I would think. So that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we move on to end of podcast, you recently paced the Hoka Anayane 100K, didn't you? Yes, the women. Yeah. How fun! Was- I interviewed Nicole Monet on the show. Oh, okay, awesome. That's who I paced, who I was assigned to. Okay, mm-hmm. so talk to us about that experience. As a triathlete, you're obviously a runner right. too. Like, right? How did you figure out the pacing strategy and all that? Oh gosh, that was crazy. Um. I got the email in December, I want to say. Um, so because of triathlon, my coach mostly has me focus on my weaknesses, the swim and the bike. So actually, my run mileage is very, very low. But during the pandemic, with the, sw- the pools being closed and not being able to ride much outside, we started focusing on my run and everything. And my times came down a lot. I just run like a 257 marathon or something the month before. But yeah, Hoka reached out and they're like, uh, the men are trying to break the world record and the 100K, Jamal Mzee's running and the women like Camille Heron is doing the, the 100K, trying to break the American record. Like, do you want to be a pacer? I'm like, Ooh whoa, what? Like, at first, no. no. Why would I want to run that far? Um, but then they said, you know, you can run up to 22 miles or you, you could drop out at 22 or you can run to the 50K. So I'm like, all right, that's not that bad, I guess. So, um, yeah, so I signed on and um, this was in January. So we were actually really quarantined out there. They mm. routinely tested us up until the, the day of the race. And um, originally there were supposed to be more women but I think like injuries and COVID and all that stuff happened. So it dwindled down to there being an equal number of women racing as there were pacers. So they were like, well, why don't we just buddy you up with somebody? Mm. So I was assigned Nicole and I was pretty much just her. I was going to do whatever she wanted, pace, whatever she wanted. So um, we started way conservative compared to everybody else. I think we were last through, you know, maybe the first 20 or so miles, um, we were running, I think we went through the marathon, like 306 or something like that. And, and I started to feel it. I actually <laughs> almost took a tumble and this was around 25 and I'm like, uh, like I don't want to jeopardize her race. So let me just bow out. So I bowed out around mile 28, but yeah, it was awesome. It was so fun to not, like, I didn't have any nerves going in because it was all about her, which was so cool. You know, like I didn't have any time goals. It was just make sure that she had the best race. I tried to stay in front of her the whole time. Like people don't realize that it was actually really windy around Mm. the lake. Um, There was a strong headwind. So, and then just kind of checking back with her, like, is she still there? Like I've never looked back so many times in a race in my life. So it was, it was unique for sure. But uh, she was so sweet and like humble and she made it look so easy. Like when I dropped out at 28 and she (laughs) still had, you know, like over 30 miles to go. I'm like, holy man, this, this girl is, she's tough like it's awesome but it was so cool to see her go from last and like work her way all the way up to second and I think she's now like on the top 10 list for American women in the 100k yeah I can't remember but it's that sounds right to me mm-hmm. I I wish I would have known when I interviewed her that you were her pacer I should have <laughs> done my research a little bit better that's so cool yeah 
Yeah, there are some cool shots of us. I'll have to share one with you. Oh, um, yes, of please me do. running with her. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. Okay, so what What now? You have your big race coming up, your first pro mm-hmm. race. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you have your pro card, like, are you just like, I'm going to chill, I'm going to train, or do you have another big pie-in-the-sky goal lined up? Um, I did register for the JFK 50. Oh, yes. <laughs> I read that. I what, yes, I don't know what I was thinking. I think earlier in the year, I'm like, well, if I don't get my pro card, I need another crazy goal. So that yeah. was the thinking. Um, so I did sign up for that, and I would like to do well on that. Um, but other than that, I really don't know what's next. I'm at this weird place where, like, I've been chasing a goal for so many years, and mm-hmm. now that it's finally happened, I do feel a little weird and directionless and uh, I'm such a goal-oriented person so I do want to figure out what's next um so yeah mentally I'm struggling a little bit with that but I think it's natural so yeah I'll just let it come I'm not gonna rush it but yeah do this race see how it goes and then I'm gonna do um a half Ironman in September and JFK 50 in the fall and and you know see what else is on the horizon but we shall see so I, I heard you mention you're not really a high mileage runner, regardless of mm-hmm. triathlon. So like when you train for the 50, will you still be like doing plenty of biking and swimming? Or are you going to take a little bit of a break? No, I will probably still do plenty of uh, biking and swimming. I seem to benefit a lot from the aerobic um like all the gosh stress on your lungs from yeah. swimming and stuff like that. I just seem to excel. To be honest with you, when I first got into running, I couldn't even break 20 minutes in the 5K. It wasn't until I started getting into triathlon. Mm. It was like all that swim, bike, cross training. All of a sudden, my you know runtime went from 20 minutes to 18 minutes. Wow. Like, seemingly overnight it seems so no um I'm gonna let coach Johnny work that plan out Uh (laughs) uh um I'm sure he will cut back the long bike rides that I do and then we'll like I don't run I don't do 20 mile runs on Sundays or anything like that so I'm sure like we'll incorporate that and cut back on the bike do you think that'll be refreshing I feel like that would feel refreshing yes. after those five hour five I rides. wish that was my next race yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes I am definitely looking forward to it oh man well this has just been wonderful um tell me what something professionally or personally that you would like to do well we kind of just talked about this but you could be mm-hmm. personally too I saw on Instagram that you you want to start traveling more so what's something yes. you'd like to do that you haven't done yet um yeah have more of a life uh this you know, goal has taken over so much of my life. Um, I haven't had much of a social life and um, I've had to say no to just happy hours and Mm. stuff like that. So yeah, I'd like to just kind of have a little fun this year. And yes, I would like to travel more, especially with my family and um, with now with the world kind of opening up again. So travel more for sure. And hopefully do more like speaking engagements with kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I like volunteering in that way. It's really fulfilling for me. So I hope to do more of that. I know your family, you guys are super, super close. Do you live nearby? No, they live right outside of New York City, but they just put their house on the market and it looks like they're moving down to the DC Richmond area. So we'll see. Fingers crossed they'll come closer to me. Mm -hmm. Yes, that'll be huge. Not a plane Mm -hmm. ride, a three hour car ride, something like that. Yep, exactly. Oh, Mm -hmm. very exciting. Um, Okay, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Mike Riley's book. I can't even think of the title right now. He's the one that says like, Sika Henry, you are an Iron Man. So yeah, I'm really enjoying that one right now. Okay. Is he, tell me what, I'm sure you've met him in person. Is he like what everybody says he's like? 
Yeah, well, I don't really remember because it was at Kona at the Ironman World Championships and I was delirious when I crossed the finish line. Yeah. But yeah, no, we've we've chatted. He's super um, confident, uh-huh. super passionate and just like really bubbly and friendly. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you have to be to be out there for that many hours yelling every single person's name as they cross the line. And in his book, he talks about how he literally read, like he says everybody's name. So he makes sure he gets it right before mm. the race and he reads people's stories and stuff. So when they cross the line, he actually is so familiar with them. Like he remembers their name. He remembers some like little tidbit about them. I mean, wow. just, he's, in- he's incredible. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. He's kind of like, I've never even done an Ironman, but I like know his name from like the one time I did a half Ironman. He's, he's, he's yeah. famous in the triathlete community for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. If you could have coffee, tea, or cocktail with someone fun, motivating, or inspiring, who would it be? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. Um, Serena Williams, I think. Yeah. Um, she's been in such a unique situation, like race wise and at the top of her game and, uh, just gender everything. I would want to just pick her brain about how she handles all that pressure and still performs at like such a worldly level and I just think she's really cool (laughs) I just saw somebody Lindsay Krauss just tweeted an interview clip some reporter asked her like a I don't know kind of a negative leading question and she was like Mm. that wasn't very nice yeah you should have been out there did you see that I haven't but that doesn't surprise me yeah hilarious she she just like I think you like see her thinking about how she's going to respond to his question, and then she's just yeah. like, or maybe she's like, that wasn't very kind. Right, I know. <laughs> just going to just tell you exactly how that question made me feel. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, what is your last message you want to leave to the audience today? Uh, I love the quotes, always believe something beautiful is going to happen. Um, I think that you just have to keep working at it like nothing's ever going to come easy and even if things don't turn out the way you want them to at that moment um so much good can still come from it like with my crash I regretted it so much and I'm like oh I hate it I hate it I hate it but I've met so many incredible people and stuff because of it so I just try to find like the positive or like the beauty and things I love it thank you so much for coming on the show of course thank you for having me I appreciate it Okay, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Seika, for coming on the show. You can find her on Instagram. She is S-I-K-A Henry over there. You can find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626. The show notes to this episode are at lindsayhine.com. If you subscribe to our newsletter, you will get the show notes directly sent to your inbox every single week where you get links to the books, anything we talked about as well as sponsor discounts over there. And if you'd like to just be added to our newsletter without going to the website and subscribing that way, shoot my assistant, Emma, an email, emma at sandyboyproductions.com and she will get you added. Big thanks to Athletic Brewing Company for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you are looking for a non-alcoholic, delicious beer, go to athleticbrewing.com and use the code anotherathletic 15 to get 15% off your order. All right, friends, thank you so much for being here. Have a really great rest of your day and 
As always, I will see you next Friday.